Well, it is so good to be with you together again. And again, for those of you that are new with us, I told you I'd remind you about that Connect card located in the seat back of the chair in front of you. If you'll take a moment, fill that out. We do have a gift for you being with us today at the welcome table. Just take that Connect card back to them. Also, for those of you that are joining us online, I'm so grateful that we get to share this moment with you wherever you are um, here in Leavenworth County or even around the world. Uh, we're so grateful to be together with you. Uh, let's give everyone that's watching online as well of our new guest with us. Will you give them a warm welcome today and help me make them feel welcome. Yes, thank you. We are in week three of this series that we have entitled Put a Bit in It. And this is the series big idea that we've been looking at and we're going to continue to look at today. Your words have power. Your words have power. And you are responsible to harness those words for the benefit of Others, Your words, we've been talking about and we've looked in this series that your words are your responsibility, that what comes out of your mouth is your responsibility and every word you speak has power and therefore you are accountable for the power that you use with your words and that power is something you can use for good and that is a power that you can use for evil. And in this, this is why we must harness our words. We must harness every word that comes out of our mouth or comes out of us, whether written or spoken for the benefit, for the good of others. And it's for good because sometimes we think it, we're using it for the good, but it's a lot of times for our own good. But what we are obligated to, we're responsible to use our words, not for our own good, but for the good of others that it benefits, as we've read in Ephesians 4.29, those who listen. Now, today, we're go going to address something and look at something that often is overlooked in big adult church, okay? So I'm just going to be honest with us. Our kids hear this. In fact, a couple weeks ago, they heard a lesson about this. If you had them in our kids' environment in the grade school area. And this is what we're going to talk about today is something that's often overlooked. We just don't address. I mean, we talk about this with our kids all the time. But what happens is there's a cognitive dissonance or distance that's created over time of what we tell our kids, why this is important, but we don't live this out as adults because we make excuses. And over time, we make excuses for what we're going to be talking about today. And, and this is something that God detests. It's something that um, it, it's actually the ninth commandment says we should not do this. It's something that King Solomon, the wisest man who Jesus said ever lived other than Jesus, by the way, he said this is one of the, one of the things God detests or God hates. And this is what, how he says it. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, which is like pride. A lying tongue, which is what we're going to look at today. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Now, two of these address our hearts, our haughty eyes, our pride, that is our heart. And, and the second thing is the, the wicked schemes, the heart that devises wicked schemes against others. And then two address our actions, the, the, the one who is murdered, the, that, that action is, is obviously detestable to God. And then the second one is the one that, who is quick to rush into evil. And three of these address our words. Three of these address our words, the lying tongue, and then the false, the false witness who tells lies. And the third one is a person who stirs up conflict. Because really, how do we stir up conflict most of the time? We say something we shouldn't say. 
We all know that. And we're actually going to talk about that next week. And this is why I tell you that now, because I don't want you to miss next week because of what you know next week's topic is. (laughs) Don't you like that guilt? Okay, so in this, three, we speak of lying. Now, why does God see this as detestable as to him? Why, Why did Solomon say this is seven things that God hates and three of these are around lying? Why is a lying tongue so detestable to him? Because lies are unloving. I mean, that's the bottom line. Lies simply are unloving. See, to hold, withhold, to, to hold back the truth, to withhold the truth from someone is to say, I don't love you. Now, I know some of you are already arguing with me in your head because I know how that narrative goes. And, and so you're already arguing with me because what about when the truth hurts someone and isn't it appropriate then to just withhold the truth from someone? And I'm not talking about your opinion and, or like, hey, when, when your wife asks you how she looks in that dress, I'll let you wrestle with that one, okay? Um, so, but, but, but in this, so the loving, lies are unloving. And, 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 and the question I would throw back to those of us that are arguing this already is, is this, are we really showing love by withholding truth? Do we really show love when we withhold truth? So what do I say in those matters? Well, in this, we, we, we need to wrestle with the wisdom that Scripture gives us. And, and we got to understand something about what, what, why lies are unloving. is because dishonesty destroys trust. I mean, we know this. You, you, you know this. You, you, you've, when, your friend, when you found out that your kids lied to you, what did you do? You didn't trust your kids um, after multiple times they've lied to you. See, we don't, we, when we found out that our spouse has lied to us, it, it destroys this trust that we have in our spouse. When we find out a friend doesn't tell the truth or they withhold the truth, it destroys the trust in, in, in that. And when we do that, see, it destroys our trust in the other person. See, lies are unloving and, and dishonesty destroys trust and relationships need trust. I mean, this is what we know. We know that the foundation of relationship is trust. It's the foundation of every relationship you have is trust because without trust, there is no relationship. This is why every time you're dishonest with somebody, that relationship dies a little. And that relationship dies when that trust is broken. This is why your marriage suffers when there is a breach of trust in it because relationships need trust. This is the main reason and and, and the main reason trust is broken in our relationships is dishonesty. This is the main reason you don't trust someone is because of dishonesty. And in this, we need to understand something that is powerful about our relationships. And you need to understand this. And this is true about your relationship with God and your relationship with others. And it's this right here. And I say this often. Perfection is not what a relationship needs. Honesty is. Perfection is not what you want from your kids honesty is. Perfection is not what you need from your spouse. Honesty is. See, in your relationship, even with God, perfection is not the goal. 
Honesty is the goal. See, your responsibility and your relationship with God is not perfection. Your responsibility and what God desires from you is honesty. This is why Jesus came. This is why God sent Jesus to live the perfect life you can't live. To die to pay for all the shortcomings, all the imperfections. Every time you sin against someone else, you sin against him. And every one of those was taken up on Jesus. And when you put your trust in Jesus, God clothes you in Jesus' perfection. Because he doesn't need you to be perfect. He, can, he knows that he can't expect that from you. But what he does expect from you and I is honesty. Because honesty builds the relationship. God doesn't require perfection from us, but requires honesty from us. Because without honesty, there's no trust. And without trust, there is no relationship. And perfection, I mean, let's think about this. Perfection Does that build strong relationships with your kids? No. In fact, what it does with your kids is you put a label or a perfection on your spouse, it's going to force them to be dishonest because you've put honesty honesty less than perfection. And they're going to lie to meet your standard. See, dishonesty destroys relationships. And perfection... Perfection sets people up. This expectation of perfection sets people up to be dishonest. And now there's a story in 2 Kings that I think it exemplifies this better than any. And it's in the, in 2 Kings is a, one of the records of Israel's history. And it captures um, what we're talking about here in a very, very extreme way. I mean, in fact, this is a hard story, um, but it talks about how dishonesty hurts our relationship with God. And it also hurts our relationship with others. And in, in 2 Kings, Elisha is the prophet in this day and age. And Elisha was a prophet who followed Elijah. And in this, this era, uh, there was a neighboring country who Israel had t- at times been at war with named Aram. And in Aram, there is a general of Aram's army and the general of Aram's army was named Naaman. And Naaman was a valiant soldier but had a vicious, a vicious disease called leprosy. It would make them appear white. It actually would eat their skin. It was a vicious disease um, in this day and age. And in this, Naaman, had his wife had a servant girl who was from Israel. And the reason they had a servant girl from Israel is because in one of the previous wars between Aram and Israel, some of the, uh, the, the men of Aram brought back some of the Israeli women and they became servants to some of the the, the, uh, the upper echelon of the uh, Aram army. And this servant girl tells, who's from Israel, tells Naaman's wife about the prophet Elisha, who is from Israel, who is the prophet of the true God and who can heal Naaman's disease. So Naaman has exhausted all of his uh, other way, uh, opportunities or all his options. And he goes to the king of Aram and says, can I go to, the, to Israel to see the prophet Elijah to heal me of this disease? And because of the relationship that he had with the king, the king was like, yes, we need you. And, and, and so he, the king, writes a letter to the king of Israel. He sends this letter to the king of Israel, says, heal my, uh, my, my servant Naaman. Now, the king of Israel doesn't take this in good favor. He actually thinks this is a threat to him. And he so much thinks it's a threat, he rends his garment. He tears his garment because he actually thinks that this is a, a setup 
that they're about ready to go again to war because he just set him up to do something impossible because he knows he can't heal Naaman. And so in this, Elisha hears about this. Elisha sends a message to the king of Israel and says, send Naaman to me. And so Naaman comes, travels from his country to Israel, comes and he journeys all the way to Elisha's doorstep. And so he's on the threshold of Elisha's doorstep. And all what Elisha knows he's coming and you got to check this out. So Elisha doesn't actually go down to greet Naaman. He sends his servant Gehazi. Gehazi goes down with this message from Elisha and his message was to Naaman, go dip in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed. That was it. Turns back. And in this, Naaman gets offended. Naaman gets mad. And the reason Naaman gets mad is one, Elisha didn't come out by himself and he didn't take the time to at least go greet him and you know, whatever he was expecting him to do, wave his magic hands and heal him of his disease. But he wasn't personal enough to come out and show him the dignity and pay respect to who he was, the army of, of, of Aram. And then the second thing that made him mad was to dip in the Jordan River. And he knew, and everybody knew in that day and age, that the Jordan was the dirtiest river and so this was almost a slight to his dignity. This was like, and he was like, there are cl- more clean rivers. Eh? Why didn't he have me go dip in them? And he's offended by this direction that all he had to do is just obey and he would have been healed. And so he leaves angry. Naaman leaves angry. Our whole entourage is leaving. The, the servants are like, of Naaman are like, hey, hey, trying to talk sense into him. Naaman, you need to just do this because if he had asked you to do something grand or just big or audacious, you would have done it. At least go dip in it. And so Naaman listens to their advice, goes dips in the Jordan River seven times, and God heals him. He realizes that the God of Israel is a true God. He returns to Elisha, and Elisha is there, and, and he tells Elisha that I want to give you a gift. And Elisha denies the gift. And maybe Elisha realized that everything he had and everything he was and the gift that he had to heal all came from God. And in this, uh, Elisha denies the gift and sends Naaman away. And then Gehazi, he, this is where the story really gets interesting. So Gehazi, then Elisha's servant, thought Elisha was too easy on Naaman. And maybe there was something inside of him that thought, hey, he should at least pay. I mean, after all, he's from the visiting country who has taken us, you know, has taken so much from us. We need something back from him. Whatever the reason, we don't know what it was. But in all of this, he thinks that Naaman got off too easy. And so Naaman tracks, is tracked down by Gehazi. Gehazi leaves to chase Naaman down. And, and Gehazi tells Naaman, this is, this is where we pick up the story. My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent them in away and they left. So I just want to pause right here. So this is what Gehazi just did. He just lied to Naaman. He just lied. And this was his first lie. 
So when he went in, he, this uh, narrative continues, when he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. Lie number two. But Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards or flocks or herds and ma- or male and female slaves? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become leprous as white as snow. A very strong story, a very hard story to tell us a strong truth. And the apostle Paul to the church in Corinth in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, he tells them that says, hey, these were recorded, these events in history were recorded to serve as examples. And you know, this is an example to you and I today of the severity of what lying does, the severity of being dishonest. This is how destructive it is. And, and this is an extreme story to help you see how God sees, to help you see how God sees our dishonesty. Gehazi lied to Naaman and Gehazi lied to Elisha. And because Gehazi lied, Gehazi not just only dishonored those two men, but he dishonored God. And Gehazi's lie led to his own death. Gehazi, Naaman's disease was transferred from Naaman to Gehazi. You know what Romans 6.23 says? Romans 6.23 says this about all of us and because of our sin. It says, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's in verse, uh, chapter 3. And it says, because the wages of our sin in, in chapter 6, verse 23, says it's death. I mean, in this, we see that God allowed death to be expedited on, uh, on the Gehazi by transferring this over because of the severity of how he sees dishonesty. And, and, and in this, and he wanted, he, he, and in this, what happened is, is it's not just an eternal death that he suffered, but you want to recognize, we need to recognize that Gehazi also, also suffered the relational death. He left Elisha's presence and no time later again in this story of Elisha would Gehazi be a servant of Elisha. He left his presence. It destroyed his relationship with Elisha. See, he lost that relationship too. And three things I just want to quickly point out from the story of many things that we could point out. First is this. See, lies are selfish. We just need to recognize that. Lies at the core of what they are are selfish. Selfish. Gehazi lied because of his selfish greed. He wanted something from Naaman or either that he wanted to, he wanted to make Naaman pay for whatever reason, whatever the motive behind it, it was selfish and it led him to lie. And behind every lie, behind every lie is selfishness. And I've, I've tried to find another reason. I've tried to find another motive behind a lie. And I've, as, as I break it down, why would they do that? Why would they do that? Why would I, in my own life and other times that people have lied to me or, or just scenarios that I've seen people like, there is a selfish motivation behind every lie that I could think of. A selfish motivation. And when I, and here's the thing, even when I think I'm trying to, I'm lying to try to help somebody, to benefit them, there's a selfish motivation even behind it. See, lies are selfish. Lies are selfish and that's what makes them unloving. 
And if we're to love others, as we've been talking in this series, if we're to love others the way Jesus has loved us, we need to honor them by being honest with them. And we must be honest and realize that telling a lie is selfish and unloving. And love, love honors others. That's what love does. It honors others by being honest with them. A uh, second thing is this. See, when you think that you're the only one who knows what's true, God knows the truth. When you are the only, when you think that you are the only one who knows what is true, God knows the truth. Gehazi thought that he could get away with it. He thought that he could get away with it. He, Naaman would have never known what, if Elisha really said that. Elisha would have never known that Gehazi got the money from Naaman. He thought he had the perfect plan, but God knew the truth. See, when you think that you're the only one who knows, you have deceived yourself by being, being dishonest with yourself. You've lied to yourself thinking no one knows, but the reality is God knows. How many times, how many times have we been in a situation like that where we thought nobody's gonna know? I can do this. Nobody will find out. My wife will never know. My kids will never know. My friends will never know. But God knows. See, we think we can get away with it because we're the only one who was there. And we, they, we think that, hey, no one was around. We think we can get away with something, therefore. See, that's when our selfish desires take over our desire to honor God by honoring others. And, and here's the reality is we don't love ourselves when we're not honest with ourselves. You know that? You're not truly showing yourself the love that you need to give yourself when you deceive your very own self. And, and when you're not honest with yourself, you, you can't be honest with God. And when you're not honest with God, you can't be honest with others. See, and the third thing is this, lies are unloving and breaks trust in the relationship. When we lie to ourselves, we don't trust ourselves. We break that relationship with ourselves. And when we lie to others, we, we, they won't trust us and we break that relationship with them. And when we lie to God, what we do in that moment is we push ourselves away from him. We create a distance because that's what lies do. That's what it does. Lies and dishonesty, they push us away from the relationships from God, our relationship with God, and they push us away from our relationship with others. Lies silo us out. They isolate us. They put us onto a land of our own because that's what selfishness does. It isolates us. And our lies are, are, are what do that. They push us away from who we need most our relationship with God, the giver of life, and the relationship with those that we have relationships with that God created us to be in relationship with. See, they push us away. And the more we lie, the farther we push ourselves from God and the farther we push others away from us. And the more we're honest, the more we're honest, the more we come close to others. The more we come close to God and the closer we become with him. The more you're honest with God, the closer you'll become in your relationship with him. And the more you're honest with your spouse, the closer you'll be in that relationship with him or her. The more you're honest with your kids, the closer you'll be in your relationship with them. The more you're honest with others, the closer your relationship will be. See, perfection isn't what a relationship needs. Honesty is what a relationship needs. And relationships are built on trust. And that is why I want you to know this teaching big idea that's so simple. 
is truth builds trust. Truth builds trust. What does every relationship need? It needs trust. And what builds trust? Truth builds trust. Where there is no relationship that's established, truth and, and, and honesty, be, it, it, they establish the trust in that relationship. And this is why, I mean, this is why when your children, when your children tell you the truth, what do you want to do? You want to give them more responsibility the more they're truthful with you. The more your kids are honest with you, you, you want to give them more because it builds trust. The more your spouse is honest with you, the more your spouse is truthful with you, 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 you know that when they tell you they're going to do something, you can trust that they're going to do that because truth builds trust. And our relationships need, they need to be established on truth. In your relationship with God, it is, after all, it's established on truth. Without trust, there is no relationship. So we build trust by telling the truth. This is what love requires. This is the loving thing we are to do because we follow Jesus. This is what love requires of us, to be honest, to be honest, with, uh, be honest is what honors God and being honest is what honors others. And because we're following Jesus, because we are, we, we are following him, we need to understand something, that lies are a part of our old life. <laughs> That's what lies are. They're a part of the old us. They're a part of the old life that we had before we followed Jesus. This is, we gotta recognize that this is a part of our old selfish, sinful nature. And if we're to love others as Jesus has loved us, then we must be devoted to the truth. And that's what Colossians 3 says. As Paul directs this church in Colossians, he says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. See, you are made new. You have been, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, when you put your trust in Jesus, you are born again. He makes you brand new. And therefore you need to be taking off that old self. And by that way, old self, that old sinful, selfish self of yours, is what used to lie. Now you are made new in Jesus. You've put on his righteousness and he's now given you the power. You don't have the power within yourself to be honest in every situation, but he has the power to be honest and give you the power to be honest. And this is what we are doing. We are made new. We are renewed in the image. I love what Paul says, in the renewed in the image of our creator. Jesus is our creator. And Jesus would say in John 14, verse six, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. We are made in that. And when we are honest with others, we honor God. And when we are honest with others, we honor them. And we are committed to truth because truth builds trust. The second thing is this, is when the truth hurts, we must commit to speak the truth in love. We must commit to speak the truth in love. Hey, there are gonna be moments when the truth's gonna hurt. And every time we share truth, not just in those moments alone, but every time you have to share truth, we need to bathe truth in love. It needs to be coming from us because this is what it is. And it's easier said than done. I recognize that. Because it's not necessarily that I think I'm loving, it's that they see I'm loving. It's not that I, well, I was loving when I said that. You don't know that. Did they perceive it as loving coming from you? See, speaking the truth clearly so that it's clearly known that we are saying this because of it's in their best interest. It's what's best for them. It's not what's best for me. Because sometimes that's why we want to say the truth, isn't it? Because 
we benefit from it. We want to save it for our own selfish reasons. And this is what Ephesians 4 says. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow in every respect to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. We need to speak the truth in love for the benefit of others. That's what verse 29 says, and we've looked at that in the last couple of weeks. Why do we do the things that we do? For the benefit of others. Why do we choose the words we say? For the benefit of others, that it benefits all who listen, that it builds up all who listen to it. So that in this verse, it says that they may become mature, that they grow up in their faith. And Jesus was perfect at this. He was full of grace and truth. And we need to follow him. And now while we won't be full of grace and truth always, we need to, we need to do our best to allow him to, to give us the grace we need when we have to speak the truth that he leads us to speak in those times that we have to be honest with others. See, we speak the truth in love for the benefit of others so it can build them up. That's the nature of love. It's selfless. It's for the benefit of them. And that's why love should compel us to tell the truth. See, love compels us to tell the truth. When we are compelled to tell the truth because we're angry, when we're compelled to tell the truth because we want revenge or we want, even to the moment that we want to tell the truth because we're insecure in that moment, we need to check ourselves right there. We need to check ourselves because we need to be compelled by love Alone, Love that's not for our benefit, but for solely the benefit of others. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices. It rejoices. It rejoices with the truth. Love does not delight in dishonesty. See, dishonesty is evil. You know why dishonesty is evil? Because it's selfish. It's selfish. And evil... You need to re- recognize something. And this is something that it, it, it took a long time for me to understand this. That truly what is evil is loving someone else less than I love myself. Because that's what opens the door for the evil to come out of me. Anytime I treat somebody else in less of a way that I would want to be treated. Anytime I love someone else and, and it's less than the way I love myself. It opens the door for me to take advantage of someone, me to hurt them and even to go farther. See, loving others less than I love myself is where the evil enters my own life and comes out of me and harms someone else. Love is is loving others as Jesus has loved us. And that's why I think what that new command that he gives us is so powerful. Because now we're not tapping into a human power of love. We're We're using his power that we've received as he's loved us, and we now love others. And this leads us to be honest with them because that's what love is. Love is honest. So I want you to ask a question as we leave today. It's a question I think you need to wrestle with. It's a question I've had to wrestle with many, many times over the years. Am I being honest? Are you being honest with yourself? Am I being honest with myself? Are you being honest with God? And are you being honest with others? If at anything, you need to wrestle with that first question because you owe it to yourself to at least be honest here. You owe it to yourself. If you're not a Christ follower today and you're listening to this, you owe it to yourself to at least be honest with yourself. Because if you can't be honest with yourself, who can you be honest with? And as Christ followers, if we deceive ourselves, we know we're not deceiving God. 
And if, we don't, uh, if we're not honest with ourselves, we'll never honor God. But are you being honest with yourself? It, 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 are you being honest with God? And are you being honest with others? Because this is what love requires of us. And the way we're honest is we tell the truth because truth builds trust. I want to pray for us as we leave. Also, I want to let you know our prayer partners are going to be available. They'd love to pray with you for any reason today. Will you bow your heads? Father, thank you that you do not expect perfection from us. But what you do expect from us is honesty. Thank you for sending Jesus to be the perfect work for all of our shortcomings, all of our sins every time that we fall short of his standard. Thank you that in his perfect work, we have new life in you. And thank you that because of our new life, we can put off our old life and put off the lies and speak the truth to ourselves to be honest with you and speak the truth to ourselves and be honest with you and be compelled to tell the truth to others and tell it in a loving way when it's hard and tell it in because we love that person, we want to keep that relationship, that even when it's hard for us to tell the truth, not necessarily hard for them to hear, but it's hard for us to tell the truth, may our love compel us to tell the truth. And thank you that, that you're the courage that we have. You're the strength that we have. And, and Father, we want to honor you by being honest with ourselves, and we want to honor you by being honest with others. And that is what love requires of us. And Father, may you give us what we need to build that relationship, to come closer to you and to come closer to others. In your name, Jesus, amen. Hey, God bless you, Westside. Our prayer partners are available also. If you're active duty and leaving, we love you. And we have a photo booth. We'd love for you to take a chance to get a picture with your family. And let's love on our military families as it leave. God bless you, Westside.